welcome to SlayerFest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and joining me for this special episode as we make our way back to Buffy Season 7, I have two wonderful co-hosts with me. I have best-selling author and Scooby. Kirsten White. And I have my co-host of My Bloody Judy. Zachary Patton Garcia. And Kirsten, do you want to introduce our guest? Yes, we are joined by the intersection of horror and Christmas, filmmaker and co-host <laughs> of Midnight Mass. Michael Verratti. <laughs> Hi, Michael. Hello, hello. Uh, I'm so glad to have the three of you here because um, we're here to talk about one of my my favorite episode of season seven, which is Conversations with Dead People. Um, and I think the three of you also are very into horror. And so I think this is, I mean, definitely the last episode that leans into horror, but it's very, it leans into those tropes, right? Like I think I can remember watching the Dawn scenes and being like a little scared, right? And like, that didn't happen often on Buffy. <laughs> right. And especially in the Dawn scenes, and we can talk about it as we dig into the episode, there are so many direct allusions, not just to horror cinema, but to horror uh, stories. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think of all of, of the conversations with dead people that happen in this episode, the Dawn segments literally lean into direct reference and illusion of, of like certain moments in horror cinema and, and classic folklore. So I think that that's really great because the show kind of after a certain point decided to kind of do its own thing so to return it back to an homage to horror was really kind of cool to see it's just the atypical buffy episodes are the best right they Mm -hmm. are just unbeaten and this one is just pure poetry from start to finish yeah yeah i mean i put in my notes um i looked this up and like they're actually a different writer wrote each plot thread Um, And I think that that really is to the benefit of the episode itself. Mm -hmm. You know, like Jana Spenson wrote, um, Jana Spenson wrote the Dawn scenes, which I think the Dawn and then the Willow and Cassie scenes are like the two strongest. Marty Noxon wrote the Willow and Cassie stuff. And I think that it really works. I don't know, Kirsten, Michael, you both are very uh, prolific writers. Like I'm feeling like that was a benefit to the episode, but I don't know, like, what do you think? I think so. I think one of the problems that you see most often in in television and film and things that actually get made is it's the too many cooks problem, right? Yeah. Like sometimes you get you get that combination of, of writers where it's synergistic, right? Where where their combination creates something better than what they could have done together. But sometimes you get the problem of too many people have too much input and it gets kind of muddled along the way. And I like that we have these these interconnected stories that are all so sharp and all exactly what they should be. And I do think it's because you had four different writers who were just at the top of their games and just having fun with it. Like, mm-hmm. this is my only responsibility for this episode, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kill it. And they all did. Yeah, and, and Kirsten raises a good point, too, that uh, there are too many cooks often in a writer's room that can muddy a pot, but sometimes what happens is they all adopt the voice of the showrunner, too, and they don't really mm-hmm. get a chance to breathe. And this is an episode where I think the writers actually breathe, and it's to the betterment of the storytelling because... There's individual voices in each of these stories that wouldn't necessarily work in a regular episode of television because you have to keep a cohesiveness mm-hmm. in in an episode with just an A or a B plot. But this has four or five plots running concurrently yeah. that all have sort of different tones. And they each kind of bring what they do best to those segments. And it works. And it also shows what a strong writer's room Buffy had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a really good point. Is that these writers were also like all really good writers, and so having them work on separate elements of the plot, and I think also it probably helps that like like you said they needed to like intertwine, but also they didn't 100% interact with, like, they didn't really interact. It was just, like, they had to have the same flow of, like, ooh, Dawn here is a spooky, but, like, "Mm, what is that? Oh, she starts seeing spooky, and, like, we're building up to, you know, Cassie telling Willow to kill herself, and Joyce's appearance, and Buffy finding out that Spike sired this vampire, and that he is killing again, and Andrew killing Jonathan. Like, the pacing had to be the same, but the stories don't actually have to interact. So it's almost like these could be like four short stories about Sunnydale, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter how many times I watch Buffy. Like I haven't watched any episodes in quite a while. And as I'm watching this, I'm just making notes. I'm like, oh, this is so sharp. This writing is so good. <laughs> this episode is so funny. And then I'm like, I write that every time I watch an episode. Like I do think <laughs> consistently this show just has phenomenal writing. Um, and this, this episode is such a showcase for that. Yeah. yeah. And even the way the episode is shot like it feels yeah. like even with the moments of action that we do have throughout like sprinkled throughout it it's just it feels a lot quieter it feels a lot okay. slower even though there's all this stuff going on so um whenever i think about an episode or a season or something like that uh i always have an image that sticks out of my head so which image or shot from this episode sticks out to each of y'all I'm very oh. curious about that. I this is I feel like this is going to be lame, but there's two. For me, it's Joyce just like bright and shining. Mm-hmm. Like to, that's that's mine. Yeah, like Joyce lit to be like almost angelic, but knowing that it's the opposite. It's like she's this is an evil person wearing Joyce's face with that window in the back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which <clears throat> is the cover to this episode. <laughs> 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 um, but also, I would say. Um, the image of just of uh, Willow sitting at her table and looking up with tears in her eyes. Yeah. Like that is like a very, I, Alison Hannigan. I mean, I have my notes say often during the Willow scenes is Jesus Christ, Alison Hannigan and Azora sky, like bring their a plus game to mm-hmm. this episode. And it's wild because if I think about it too much, I'm like having Cassie there is dumb because Willow never even met her, mm-hmm. but that actor just, like delivers and so i i'm not mad that it's you know what i mean like in theory i'm like i wish it was someone else but like in practice i'm like no this works and she is so good at like switching like when she switches from oh i'm this nice you know i'm this nice teen girl who like wrote poetry and as she starts to get more and more sinister she really nails it i think and Mm -hmm. so yeah i always think of willow like sitting there and Alison Hannigan has such a good cry face that mm-hmm. her sitting there, like looking up with tears, and she's like looking so sad. Those are my two images from this. And that was my 10 minute answer to Zach's question. I'm sorry, Justin <laughs> or Michael. <laughs> I mean, I also was going to do Willow looking up and crying. Um, but she's just like so luminously beautiful, too. Um, but, but I won't because you did. Um, I think my two images are the scene where Dawn is at like the little coffee table and there's the flash of Joyce dead on the couch behind her and it's, it's quick. And then, you know, Dawn turns around and it's not there anymore, but that's just like, it was so effective and so Um, re-traumatizing. And then uh, I really just love the scene where after Buffy criticizes um, the guy for psych one wanting her, then, and then it cuts to her full on laying out on the, whatever the sarcophagus the, uh, the plinth I don't know what those are called um, I shouldn't write horror um, 
but like full on laying out, hands on her yeah. stomach, like in the traditional like therapist and patient pose. I just thought that was so funny and so well done. Well, I also really love the comedy of the Buffy therapy scene. That's something every time I see this episode, I zero in on, on, which I know that, you know, I being a horror person, people are surprised that I go for a more mundane image, but it's great. However, I also agree that the the ultimate imagery of this episode is with Willow, uh, because when I think of conversations with dead people, I think of that library. But for Mm -hmm. me, the actual imagery of it happens earlier when Willow is alone at the table and you see Cassie walking through the stacks before she Mm -hmm. rounds the corner because that is is just really one great filmmaking because you know someone's there. There's like a buildup of reveal, but it's also ominous. Even though Cassie Mm -hmm. then comes out and is is pleasant and we don't fully know yet, but it, it shows as the season progresses how the first is always on the periphery, right? Mm-hmm, and I love yeah. that idea. And even though each of these stories are isolated, I think Willow in the Library stands out to me the most because in all the other stories, the characters move around, but mm-hmm. Willow's is truly stationary. It is, it's a bottle yeah. episode within kind of a bottle episode. <laughs> and uh, I think that that really speaks to the power of the storytelling because as Ian pointed out, it's all between those two. They have mm-hmm. to sell the whole thing, you know? Yeah, you're right. That's funny. I didn't think of, like Willow literally is sitting down until she stands up at the very end. Otherwise, she's stationary the entire episode. Yeah. <laughs> Which is wild to think like, no, but it's really compelling, but it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So the this episode, I mean, you mentioned this, Zach. This episode even is shot differently, and I love the opening. I think the opening's yes. that Angie Hart song. It's so good. It has, like, the timestamp. It has a title card. Yeah. We don't ever get that, but, like, for some reason, it just, it's so good, right? Doesn't I, I, it feel like a play and everybody's introductions into a play. Yes. Like when Dawn yeah. walked through the front door, I just thought this is a play that we're about to see, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's a, cause we, it's almost like all these characters are moving into like their like state parts on the stage or wherever. Yeah. Like I did, I did have one dead brain moment when it gave the timestamp and I'm like, Oh, is this a flashback? Like, <laughs> all right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Dead brain. That's good. I'm going to start using that here soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I, you know, and we even see like the band setting up, which like mm-hmm. isn't something that we normally, and it's all, I put this in my notes and I mean this in the best way. It's like completely unnecessary and like mm-hmm. not something they've done before, but I still fucking love it. Like it still works. I don't know. Yeah. Cause it goes along with the theme of we're setting up all the pieces for this episode. Yeah. 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 And almost like, and this episode and while I don't know that it follows through, this episode's also setting up all the pieces like for the season, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like we meet the first officially. We, you know, we like see what Dawn is gonna go through. We we like the the subtext of Buffy's superiority complex that's also an inferiority complex is just text. They say it out loud, like yeah. and that will be the through line for Buffy for the season. Um yeah. it's still wild to me though that we this is seven episodes in, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The pacing on this this season is so odd. Like I think back <laughs> on um, was it season five that was Buffy versus Dracula. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean that is a it's a you know it's a standalone episode, but it's a standalone episode that perfectly introduces every single element of the season that's coming, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's part of my issue with season seven. I, I can't believe this is happening seven episodes in and that we still haven't even introduced the fact that there are other that there are other <laughs> potentials coming in, right? Which is like the crux of season seven. 
And we haven't even yeah. gotten there yet. Like, it's just, it's, <laughs> that's, I think that's my biggest issue with season seven. It's just like, it didn't. It's drawn I, out. I, yeah, it didn't set up what it was going to do. And so then when it does finally get to it, it feels like, what? Anyway, I don't know. Like, I mean, we'll move on. Well, you, you saying that out loud that it's episode seven reminded me, oh, in all my query, like my pitch letters to get people like guests on, I've been saying, now we're halfway through season seven. But like, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, it, what it almost is is like, um, like, it just feels, you know, TV back then was like so standardized, whereas like, mm-hmm. you know, um, like it or hate it, the last season of what uh, Game of Thrones, you know, you had some episodes that were like an hour and a half and some that were like, mm-hmm. you know, 40 minutes. And they could have done that here, you know, fewer episodes, more into the plot yeah. and, you know, given more time to these more important episodes. Um, and it would have just, I don't know, it felt a lot tighter. Oh, yeah. I could I could watch like an hour and a half cut of this episode, like for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I do love that. Um Oh, that streamers have really opened up format. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're not locked into the 21 minute or 44 minute episode, 22 episode season. Um, Cause I mean, that format works well for some things, but it doesn't serve everything. And um, I just, it is interesting to think how Buffy would be structured if it was airing now. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I'm going to move us along as a co-host. <laughs> I just so that we have that whole introduction and then Buffy, her sort of like weary resigned, here we go. Like it yeah. is just such a killer opening, such a great introduction to the episode, like so, so good. Um, and then next, I think the next scene we see are, I, I have listed the boys are back. Yes. Yes. I, I often forget that they also are like, I always think of it as like Willow, Buffy, Dawn, and I forget that. Yeah, yeah my notes say I, I completely forgot they were here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. wild because it's such an important episode right. in the trajectory of the trio, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes, and yes, apologies to Tom Lank because I do actually really enjoy, like, I think, I mean, you said this before, Michael, they do have comedy, and we needed them for a little bit of, like, jokey, even though their story maybe has one of the darker endings because theirs mm-hmm. ends with one of them being murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think like their jokiness kind of breaks up the like intensity of the episode, which then is a trick because they have a pretty intense ending there. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like their stuff and I do, they have good chemistry. I right. mean, I understand people's issues with Andrew like coming back and getting more of a like redemption arc because Jonathan probably earned it more, mm-hmm. but I do enjoy Andrew. I just think he's like a good, like fresh breath of air in this season um, even though we had already met him in the prior season, but like, he was just like, kind of like, Oh, the, the like very silly, annoying villain. And in this, it's like, you kind of see, you also see really upfront that Andrew's kind of pathetic, right? Like he yeah, doesn't have right. a place. He doesn't have friends. His only friend is this man that was dragging him along that he was in love with, who is now dead and appearing to him as an evil ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to betray the one friend he has left because of that ghost man. Um, yeah. And what's yeah. really interesting about them is, you know, they kind of are set apart from the rest of the stories in this because they're physically moving to an end yeah. um, while everybody else is very stationary. You know, Willow doesn't even get up off the chair until the end, but like they are physically moving through. And I mean, if you've seen the episode before, you know, you know, it comes to this big conclusion. Um, I don't know. I that that part, I, I still don't like their part in this, but it does it does stick out. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like too. This episode makes it clear that Jonathan doesn't need a redemption arc. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Jonathan, Jonathan knows what they did was wrong, and he's he's ready to atone, and he's ready to like 
physically like make a difference to do what he can. And also, you know, we all know what the actor went on to do. So he was fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is also true. (laughs) He's okay. Uh, They were giving me big, like uh, I have my 20th high school reunion coming up and they were giving me big feels and that I'm so glad I'm not going. Um, (laughs) But anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there. I, I will say I really, I mean, they have, they always have a few lines that land really well. And then so, 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 so many other lines. And it's like, you really have to throw in every fandom possible. Like we have an Indiana Jones reference. We have Star Trek. We have Star Wars. We have, and it's just like, oh my God, you know, nerds specialize, right? Like everything. Anyway, I just, I find them exhausting. Um, but but I also want to note, like, I feel like Warren, as much as I hate him, he has a really good screen presence. Like, he is good at what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because just seeing him, you're like, fuck, like, oh, yep. this yep. is the man that did all the bad things last season. Yep. Fuck. Like. And, like, the way he's talking to Andrew, and you're just like, oh, no. And then yeah. that, okay. Anyway, um, I'm the one who's derailing us now. Okay, so, so we have our scene with the boys, and then we have our first Dawn scene, which is... Yes. Freaking adorable. Her dancing around, getting pizza, (laughs) getting some on the shirt and saying, she'll think it's blood. Like that is such a sister's thing. Oh, I I love the anchovy song. Yes. Yes. The anchovy song. You know, it's nice to just see Dawn, you know, before when we got to see her like alone doing teen girl things. I mean, this is one of my biggest like positives of season seven. They do a really good like Dawn rehabilitation. She's not- You know, like lots of times in season five or six, if she was alone being a teen girl, it was her being like angry and crying and screaming. Yeah. But this is just like her being like a teen girl at 1630 Ravello Drive having fun, right? She's playing with her sister's weapons, which like, of course, is dangerous. But like, (laughs) we assume that she's at least a little bit more competent than most of us right now would be at handling weapons. Yeah. Um, And like the fact that like, she seems like she's pretending to be the Slayer when she's like, oh, demon scum and like swinging the axe. It's just... Dawn doesn't get get to do that a lot, so it's nice yeah. to see her do that. <laughs> yeah, and even smashing up the house like <laughs> it didn't feel as annoying yeah. as it would have in five or six. <laughs> I do have a note of what the hell music was Dawn listening to? Yes, it's like yes, mariachi yes. music. Well, right? so whenever that music played, I just immediately snapped back to Buffy washing some fucking dishes, and oh, it's yeah. just that that feeling of dread, and it's it's. Mm. It's that one song, right? I think it's the yeah. same thing. It kind of does sound like that song she cries the dishes to, doing dishes to. But I also wonder if it's just like mm, we couldn't afford another song for yeah, this, so no, we that's just exactly like what it was. yeah, yeah. <laughs> licensing for a song. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we cut to Willow in the la- oh, so dawn scene ends with like she puts something in my grave and she hears a loud thud, and then we cut to. Willow in the library. She puts something in the microwave. She puts a solo marshmallow in the microwave without even a plate <laughs> under it. Do you understand how much cleaning that would require? That's terrible. Are you worried about this cleaning and not the cleaning they have yeah. to do at the very end of the episode, Michael? Like, like <laughs> we need a whole episode on how they clean the summer's house. Look, I'm, my, I'm my, my, my thing is, is like, you got to start on the micro level because the macro, <laughs> the, the macro of the summer's lives is already such a mess. I can't, I, I can't clean a hurricane if I can't even clean a microwave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I appreciate that Kirsten is a mom, but you just did the mom thing of like that microwave. You needed a plate. Like, what do you do? 
I can hear you. I can hear you physically scrubbing it. Like if I was dead, what could summon me to my kids would be something like that. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I taught you to put a plate down. (laughs) Um, But so that she hears that thud and then we cut to Willow, which I don't know why, but like, I was kind of surprised that Cassie like immediately pops in. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. but Azora sky, Ugh, so good. Um, and Willow, the delivery here, which I mean, Allison Hannigan's always really good at her delivery, but delivery here is especially good because it, Zach, it goes back to what you said. Like, I think it does feel very much like a play. Like, she's just like, did I fall asleep? And like, I forget what Cassie says, but then Willow's like, well, also because you're dead. Like, Willow recognizes her. And she even says, like, I know you. Well, I saw pictures of you. Um, and that's yeah, I, funny to me. Like for, I mean, they kill a lot of people on this show, right? They've lost right. people who matter to them. And then they, they yeah, I, I, I agree that the actress does a good job, but it was such an odd choice. Yeah. I, I kind of like it though. Okay. So yeah. thinking about it, it was supposed to be terror originally, right? Yes. But they couldn't get that. So, but I think this works because Cassie is removed enough that she could still trick Willow Mm-hmm. Without, because she doesn't have to take on all of Tara. She could still trick Willow and say that Tara's saying this or that. And that goes also with Dawn, too, is like there's this demon in the middle of her and Joyce where that, you know, that demon presence could, you know, it, it's that barrier so that, I don't know, you you just, I feel like if you were just face to face with your loved one, like the entire time, you'd kind of pick up on something pretty quick, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. It makes the manipulation more powerful, I think. And I I think you raise a good point because obviously we know that the first can appear as any person who has passed. So Mm -hmm. the the first could have easily just appeared as Joyce or easily just appeared as Tara, you know, actors, you know, schedules notwithstanding. But the idea then that in both cases with Dawn and Willow, there's sort of this intermediary, like this thing that you have to work through, the demon in the house, the the, uh, Tara's talking through Cassie because what you did when you went bad is terrible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's really it makes the first sm- more smart, smart, mm-hmm. most smartest, smarterer. It's <laughs> what, yeah. what are words? None of us are writers here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you guys think about if Tara had been in there? Do you think it would have been too, just too much? I think the emotional reaction would have had to have been so much stronger Mm -hmm. that it would have changed the scene entirely. So I do think like, you know, I do love that Amber Benson, A, had a scheduling conflict, but also B, didn't want Tara to appear and be evil, knowing how much Tara meant to so many viewers. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I agree with that. But also, I just think like, I, I agree. I think having this intermediary, having this sense of like, well, you could talk to Tara, but you did those bad things. So you have to talk to this sweet, innocent girl instead, who's going to be the right. go-between. Um, like, I think that worked really well. I mean, there definitely is a sense of like, surely they would have used Tara if they could have. Sure. But, but this works so well. Yeah. And I will say I did read, I was trying to find it. I don't even remember who sent it to me, but someone sent me the original script with Tara in it. And it, just reads too cruel it's like just mm-hmm. too cruel that like re-watching it i was getting emotional thinking of when uh dana and latoya and i interviewed amber right last year mm-hmm. and amber talked about that and she said she just also like she did say i did have a scheduling conflict but also i just couldn't do that to fans and i i just love her amber benson is like a true like angel and like you said kirsten she knew how much tara meant and how cruel that would have been to the fans and here like read I all I did was read the script right and I just like it gave me a stomach ache reading mm-hmm. that Tara is supposed to tell 
like they go in depth with the killing of yourself and it's like make sure you cut you know down and not across mm-hmm. when you yeah. do it and like i don't know how i would have dealt with hearing tara say those like i mm-hmm. just especially if we don't get you know if that's the last time we see tara i don't want that to be the last time i see tara is yeah. her telling willow to how to slit her wrists right right so yeah and but it i will say the cassie thing oh my as someone who does this often it almost feels like shit we didn't get amber benson she said no and that was three weeks ago and now we're two days out and we're supposed to film tomorrow and well who can we get Call everyone who's ever been on the show who are the last five people that died on the show call all those actors which one of them could do it i do love cassie though i do love Cassie. yes yes um and again that actor that actor she is just so good and i i I mean she's really i will say when we revisited help earlier last god last year when we revisited up i was surprised that like i don't love that episode so much but watching it i was like oh this is really good because azura sky is really good as this one-off character and that's what makes those characters stand out right because you can have one-off characters that like you know we're in seasons two or three that i could not even name but like i can name cassie who was only in two episodes and i very much remember her stellar performances in both as like kind of two different characters right like here it's pretending mm-hmm. to be cassie but it's not mm-hmm. really her i i might have been okay if it had been and zach i can't remember if you said this to me i even put this in my notes zach might have said this to me someone said to me that in conversations with dead people they wished holden had been someone who had died in high school well i wish all of these people kind of like like even with andrew i wish they would have just done somebody from high school or had him in high school i know they didn't think of him at that time but like even you know Maybe like earlier in the series, kill Willow's parents or something, you know, kind of utilize them a little bit better than just (laughs) But like, but like, how do they utilize them now? They're just gone. They're just like, we don't mention them ever. Like it would have, I don't know. There's, there's a layer there that we never get to explore with Willow and her parents, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. That's fair. That is fair. Um, but no, don't kill Willow's parents. I don't want that for Willow. <laughs> I think she was, she would have been just fine. <laughs> uh, but okay, so moving along. Yeah, so they kind of just... The episode does a lot more... This time watching it, like having to take notes for it, I it does a lot more of like, oop, two lines, now we're going back to the other characters, which I noticed. Yeah. Um, and... Kirsten, I'm going to put you in charge of saying, Ian, that doesn't matter. Keep moving when I'm doing all the different okay. uh, cuts. Because, of course, I took notes on, like, every one of them. Yeah, um, yeah. But so Cassie does tell Willow, and I can, I remember immediately bursting into tears when she's like, she still sings to you when you both yeah. sang on oh that bridge. Oh, my gosh, Ian. Oh, <laughs> too much. It was too much. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is why, like, I, I, I totally could see it from Tara, just it, way too cruel, way too cruel. Yeah. But also the first is supposed to be really fucking cruel, right? So it's right. like, it's like, oh, but it, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. It's just like the, and the immediate reaction from Willow. Ugh, Cause we ugh. can all picture it too. We saw it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, I do remember you sitting on that bridge. <laughs> um, and then like that, we then cut to Dawn and Dawn's on the phone with, Important to note her friend Kit from Lessons, which is the last time she's ever mentioned. <laughs> Poor Kit. But Kit's watching a Tom Hanks movie. And and Don, <laughs> being my girl, is watching a uh, a good old classic monster film. So yeah. <laughs> Michael, do you know which one she's watching? I actually don't. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not gonna <laughs> I, I, I'm not gonna play the game that like, oh it, it, it was it was such and such. 
<laughs> I was more cl- trying to figure out what Tom Hanks movie Kit was watching, just based know, on context clues. I think the Tom Hanks movie would have been too traumatizing for Dawn. This is her comfort zone. This is, this yeah. is where she gets to stay. Yeah. Yeah. I do love that the first tailored this experience to a teenage girl. Yeah. The first just like, you know, what scares teenage girls? Okay, what what movies have I seen? Okay. <laughs> We're going to do a little bit of this one. We're going to do a little bit of this one. We'll do some blood on the wall. We'll do some creepy letters that have nothing to do with anything else. The TV is possessed. Yeah, the TV is. Like, <laughs> I, I could just see the first kind of like plotting yeah. this all out and being very satisfied with themselves. Like She handles it like a champ, though. Like She, she is the Slayer's little sister. True, but does this episode not prove in many ways that the the first is a very pop culture savvy creature? Because, <laughs> like, not yeah. only is the first like laying out like Evil Dead references to Don yeah. in actual haunting, but then he's uh, the first is quoting Star Wars via Warren. And the, first kinda, has, like, the first has a Netflix and Disney Plus subscription. Like, well, it's just there. The first had a lot of downtime. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Seven seasons of it. Yeah. They're like, yeah, I just binged Star Wars real quick so I could mess with you guys. And since the first never actually can be defeated, just like dissipates, you know that the first is still out there watching TV. The first loved Emily in Paris. I'm calling it right now. Yeah, probably. The, the first is. <laughs> First is coming on for our final Loki episode. <laughs> waiting, waiting for that Buffy revival at some point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but so then, yeah, Dawn was like opens her door. We see all that wind blowing at her. Um, she like unplugs the phone. Fu- Doesn't she unplug the TV? And that's when she, she unplugs the TV like- and it keeps going. Yeah. Oh, oh, I do want to say when she opens the door and the wind blows at her. I know that you had asked me to talk about horror illusions in this episode. That's a very, very key moment because that is a reference to the monkey paw folklore where when mm-hmm. a dead when the dead relative is coming back yeah. in the last moment in the story they they make the last wish and they open the door and the wind rushes in and it's it's the entrance of the of the the departed Ooh. and as you know from the story, that happens because they know the dead you're letting in is not the dead that you want. Yeah. And so this moment tells us when that wind rushes in the door, that ain't Joyce. Yeah. Ooh. You're smart, Michael. There you go. <laughs> spooking, you're spooking everybody out right now. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to Buffy in the cemetery. She's fighting this new vampire um, and he recognizes her like almost immediately. And I actually do. I love that she doesn't recognize him. Yes. And that does feel on point for Buffy, oh, right? Yeah. Like that tracks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, who was it that said on Twitter? I know you said it, Ian, that um, if it was like the Coke meme, you bring Coke and you said that um, uh, Buffy wouldn't bring anything because she'd forget. It's just right, Buffy's yeah. whole life. It's, she's yeah. just forgetting the people, forgetting like if you're not there in her circle at the moment, she's probably forgotten you already. <laughs> I mean, and, and to be fair, she does have a lot going on oh, yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. People argued with me about that, and I was like, no, this is the one thing I know I'm right about because Buffy just would forget. Very <laughs> accurate. <Yeah. laughs> um, but so Jonathan Woodward plays Holden, and he also played Knox on Angel. I interviewed him at WhedonCon. That man is very wild and very charming. He, like, asked me a question. I forget what it... I don't even remember the answer, but I think it was something like, what's the name of the god Nox worships on Angel? And I was, he was like, I have a question for you. And I was like, oh, shit, I don't remember. So he had me lift up my laptop. He held my mic, and he went around just asking people at WhedonCon when I interviewed him two, three years ago, and just was testing them. No one got it right. 
<laughs> well, do you know the answer, Ian? I don't remember anymore. Oh Some- my <laughs> goodness, why are you bringing it up? The, the girl at the table behind me, when we got back to the table, she said it. And then later I asked her how she got it. And she was like, I Googled it real quick on my phone. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, I appreciate that. you like." Um, but yeah, you can find that. There's brief interviews at WeedonCon. That's like the last one, I think. It's very weird. Um, but yeah, I think he he also does a really good job. While mm-hmm. I do agree that it would have been nice if he had been a character we knew, I, he does a really good job too, right? I just, I do think he does a good but job. Also, I think, I think, this is the one where I was like, no, that makes sense to me because the fact that she doesn't remember him, that she doesn't know him, doesn't have a history with him, doesn't have a personal connection to him. Cause it's like he says later, like sometimes it's easier to tell these things to strangers. And like, I think that, that their whole rapport works because she has no baggage with him. Right. Like she knows exactly what their relationship is. He might have a little bit of baggage with her cause he's hurt that she doesn't remember him. Even if he pretends like he isn't, but, um, But yeah, I think this is the one where I was like, yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that casting. I'm fine that this isn't a reference to something else. Well, absolutely. And you know, uh, like we saw all throughout season six, she didn't tell anybody her problems that she knew. So it has to be a stranger. You know, it has Mm -hmm. to be somebody she doesn't really remember. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that's true. Yeah, you're right. In season six, she just the only person she told was like Tara, right? And that was because she she kind of had to. Tara. Yeah, 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 and she she really didn't consider Tara a close friend, so it was just no. like, yeah, sure, I can tell yeah. you. Yeah, um, and at that point, Tara was removed from the group; like, she wasn't yeah. dating Willow, she wasn't hanging out with the Scoobies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so then we cut back to Dawn, um, and I I like genuinely feel bad for Dawn. Um, <laughs> I just like this would scare me. I yeah. mean, it really would, and. <laughs> I do think the like her smashing the appliances. I'm like, mm, I don't know that this is like. Listen, she she is still stealing shit because how is she replacing any of this? Yeah. How does this stuff get right. replaced? Yeah, my only <laughs> note is you can't afford to replace any of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but she reacted the way a teenager probably yeah. would. Like it's instead of just That's you know. Fair. Though, I guess in a way, it's also unbelievable, right? Because this isn't Don's first day at the rodeo. Any night in Sunnydale, weird shit goes down. So, like, when your record player doesn't turn off, do you leap straight to smashing things? No one would have appliances in this town because (laughs) things are going wrong all the time. So it it does kind of show Don's lack of preparation in comparison to everyone else. Uh, And also, it's just like, girl, you are you exist because you're mystical energy created by a hell God. Like maybe don't freaking leap to destroying the, the stereo. Maybe put a plate under the marshmallow, Dawn. <laughs> just, just have some respect. Well, maybe that stereo was going to be her new brother. <laughs> exactly. She's got a lot of pent up rage though. Her sister don't even yeah. answer her damn phone half the time. So yeah. you know what? Yeah. Let her yeah. smash That's the TV true. every now and then. Well, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But so we get, and I remember the gasp I let out when watching this, when we just hear Joyce say, Oh my gosh. Yes. Ugh. And like, I mean, there are a lot more. It get the gasps got louder and louder throughout the episode, but I can remember how I felt when I was like, oh, that was Joyce. Like, fuck. Because like, that's such a right. Like everyone remembers when Joyce died. Like that's such yeah. a big moment in the show, in the universe of the show. And it's also a voice that you can, if you're a fan of the show, you recognize whose voice that is like immediately, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just think that works really well that we like 
subtly start to like we hear her then we see her and then we like Mm -hmm. see her being attacked and then she's you know this bright shining angel but it's actually evil like i just the build-up of joyce worked so well here um and then hearing her hearing dawn say the exact thing that buffy said you know mom uh, mommy like it's just like oh chills man they knew what they were doing (laughs) yep We cut back to Buffy. Buffy does remember him once he says that he like lit their production of Pippin. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think she did either. I don't think she did. (laughs) At some point, you just have to agree with somebody and say, yeah, I I got it. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. you know, established Pippin fan, Buffy Ann Summers. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love this whole scene. Like, it's so awkward and so funny. Um, And then also, I love, I loved that they threw in, and I took two years of Taekwondo. That's how <laughs> That's how I was able to rise from the grave and immediately be able to high kick you. Like, yeah, right? I never thought anybody with any other vampire ever, how they all come up suddenly imbued with the power of high kicks. But they went ahead and dropped that in here for us. I took two years of Taekwondo. All right, cool. Like, all right, sure. There's a yeah. training course right before they come up. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's- <laughs> Um, and I do love the reveal of like he says like Scott Hope said you were gay and she's like I dated that ringworm and he's like well he came out eventually <laughs> um, and just their like their lines here are very good right like yeah. I mean like you said earlier about Willow sitting down talking the whole time like Buffy does a little bit of fighting but mostly she's just standing around talking to this guy mm-hmm. like they have yeah. a few fights mm-hmm. in between but it's a lot of I mean, that's the title of the episode, Conversations with Dead People, and that's what we get in the episode. I love when he says, like, I'm connected to an all-consuming evil, and he's, like, so happy about it. And then (laughs) she says she's not so much, um, and that she has to fight them, and he said, oh, so you get paid. She (laughs) does not not get paid. Kirsten Jeep's laser focused on that. No, no, I'm right there with you. Not even a stipend. Nothing. Nothing. Yes. (laughs) Well, and this scene is the sort of brevity that we want from Buffy, right? Because, uh, you know, especially after the last two seasons, and I think what makes this episode so strong, and it's a conversation fans have a lot. You see a lot of fans rally against season six because they don't like how dark it is. But when you look at the kind of keystone moments of this series, Buffy thrives in the darkness. Oh, like, yeah. We yeah. really, really have to have these truly, like, in the pit of despair moments, the darkness all-encompassing. And the fact that this episode deals that in such a heavy hand, but also manages to give us a good old-fashioned quippy conversation in the midst of it all, mm-hmm. it is really all cylinders firing. Yeah. This is almost yeah. her talking to herself also, like mm-hmm. having a sort of inner, you know, just conversation. And um, I mean, I, mean she, I guess she died. So conversations with dead people still. Like, <laughs> exactly. That counts. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, and, you know, and he, he says like, he, I mean, he immediately starts like doing this like one-on-one thing. And I love that she, I mean, Michael, you said it's like, she makes the reference, but she's like, what I really need is emotional therapy from the evil dead. Yeah. And, it's also like, oh, but that's what you always go to, Buffy. Like, yeah, she actually does. It's very true. <laughs> really does. Yeah. Yeah. Cut back to Dawn, and we get Ian's like third gasp of the episode when I first watched it. Of, you know, well, well we first we see Buffy's phone's ringing, and like you said, Zach, she's not answering that phone. Um, and so Dawn is like, whatever. And we see Dawn sitting on the coffee table, and we get Kirsten. You're the shot you mentioned of the blip of Joyce oh. on that couch behind her, which is. Ooh, so good, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just that one was a really like 
That one just shakes me to my core just because I feel like the body was a traumatic episode for everybody who watched yeah. it. Um, and we all remember, like, if you think of the body, you remember her on that couch. Like, you can see it clear as day yeah. in your mind. And then they show it to us. Like, yeah. And it's just like, fuck. Well, and she can't yeah. see it, right? So that really is just the first being a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got something. Yeah. And, like, that's so much more effective and so much scarier than, like, the mother's milk is red today painted on the yeah. wall or whatever. Like, and I think, I, I mean, as much as I love horror and I love I love all the, like, references to other horror, like, I think for me almost that moment was lost amidst the, like, chaos Right. Dawn's experience that came later. Um, but I think that's why that's the one that I like the most is because that's the that's the genuinely horrifying moment, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's the real life horror. That's the actual trauma. Right. And it's just like taunting Dawn. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. like taunting Dawn with like her trauma of like, oh, she knows this is where her mom died. Like yeah. granted, she didn't find her mom there, but like she knows that's what happened. So like mm-hmm. and the Putting her in that same outfit, uh, just... Well, no, and it's so interesting, uh, you know, pointing out the references as well, because two movies, as you just pointed out a few seconds ago, Ian, uh, are, are referenced by name in this in this episode. One is Buffy mentioning the Evil Dead right before this scene, and later Andrew references Hellraiser. And mm-hmm. visually, both of those movies are represented in other people's stories. Mm-hmm. And, and this specifically is sort of the Hellraiser moment, uh, Hellraiser 2 specifically where they know that the the ghost of Julia or the ghost of, of uh, dad rather is trapped in hell and they're trying to communicate, but they can't see him and they get the blood on the walls and the writing on the walls. That's like, you know, and then we get this with Don in a few minutes with Joyce, like banging, like, you know, I'm here, but something else is. Yeah. And so that, that moment is, is interesting. It, in a way, it's almost the the writers leading us like we did Hellraiser and Evil Dead in this episode, and, <laughs> and in case they don't get it, we're gonna say so. <laughs> and you know what was so messed up about this too is like this this shot of just Joyce on the couch is that you know if we were putting ourselves in Don's shoes and acting like this was real, like Don can only put together an image of her. Uh, what happened in her mind because like you said mm-hmm. she didn't see it she didn't see mm-hmm. this but what the what the first can do that's really really fucked up is show her exactly what it looked like you know yeah um, yep. and i think that is just like it's just the taunting there is is uh yeah it, it it's like so cruel to poor dawn who has not had the best existence up to this point <laughs> like, how old is she how old is she she's two <laughs> yeah, she's a two-year-old okay <laughs> So the house shakes, and we cut back to we cut to Andrew and Jonathan Mission Impossible in into the new Sunnydale High School, <laughs> and like this is I, they do. You are right, Kirsten. There are a lot of references there in these so scenes, <laughs> and I will say I've never actually seen Hellraiser, Michael. So I do like you uh, throwing down the references, but I guess is it that meme of like the skinned alive man where it says on the wall, "Help, I'm in hell." That I use a lot on Twitter. Is that like the dad? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um as dads do you know you know just dad things yeah (laughs) so andrew and jonathan are kind of talking about basically the gist of their conversations is we want to we want friends like we want to be included in buffy's group um all of us yeah i mean that's the four of us uh but like something that jonathan doesn't get and andrew does by the end it takes yeah. him a while but he yeah. does and we join their gang and possibly hang out at buffy's house and yeah he gets that right yeah he does he's out in the bathroom right. 
<laughs> yeah. And like give it like three more episodes and yeah, he'll be tied up in a chair for the rest of the season. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? Like I think that maybe Jonathan dying and then getting to go hang out with Paris Geller was what needed to happen. <laughs> Wait. What's that reference? Or alternatively, Jonathan went to hell. Um, that's, that's no, he was a uh, Paris's college boyfriend on Gilmore Girls. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yes. And then they got married and had kids, and then got divorced because clearly, clearly, Paris is not a straight woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my only point of reference for Gilmore Girls is my ex watched the revival when it came back and I watched the very end of the very last episode. And I remember being like, that's it. That's how it ends. And I, then I saw that was kind of echoed on Twitter that people felt that way. I've only seen the mad TV skit about good more girls. That's about it. <laughs> um, but so we, we get all this and then they like, Oh no, this is, we don't see Warren yet. They just like do a lot of star Wars quoting. Um, but I wanted to say, Andrew's saying you think, Oh no, we do see Warren. They you do, do. it up and, Warren walks in as Jonathan walks out and Andrew's saying, you think maybe Willow can kill me too? I said yeah. is such like a gay, a gay twink would say that on Twitter about Willow. If she had like a, like a actual Twitter account or she were a pop star, I'd be like, yeah. can you kill me too, queen? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, they quote star Wars and Warren's yeah. clearly manipulating Andrew. Actually, I think this scene Kirsten specifically, right. Is where they quote like 10 different things. They do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's just so many references, but I do, but I mean, I will admit the ending where, where Warren's like, there is another. And Andrew's like, wait, what really? There's another. And he's like, no, I just want to say it like that. <laughs> that was funny. That worked for me. Um, She'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. And I do like, I do think that the, um, and I, I'm sorry, I don't know his name that the Warren actor's delivery in all of these scenes is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the thing that they get, they do good with, they do a good job of with the actors this season is like when they're the first, even if they're the first impersonating that character, it's like just slightly more sinister, right? Yeah. And like, yeah. and he does feel slightly more sinister than Warren already felt. Mm-hmm. Like Warren's presence is already like, Ugh! but then the way he's acting when he's the first is like just more like he's just kind of gliding into the scene. He almost has like dead eyes. He's just kind of staring at Andrew. Yeah. And yeah. it, it, it works, right? Right. Yeah. Cassie's telling Willow that the, the thing that you mentioned, she's saying, because you killed people, this is why yeah. you can't see her. And I know I've said this on the podcast before, but I'm going to say it again. The season seven trading cards had like very weird things written on the back of them that like very much were not canon, even though they were like the official trading cards. And for this trading card of this scene, it said on the back, the reason Tara actually couldn't visit Willow is because she was a powerful witch and her bond with Willow was like too powerful for the first to break. And I like to believe that that's like what happened here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll accept that. Yeah. Right. It's such yeah, a I weird agree. thing for them to add on a trading card, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I just, I just have a quote. She just can't. And I was like scheduling conflicts plus Amber being protective. So it's <laughs> yeah. she really Not even- couldn't. Not even a Zoom call. Tara couldn't have even Zoomed in. <laughs> Zooms with dead people. <laughs> oh, no. God, don't say it because you know, somebody's going to do it. I don't want a Buffy reboot. Mm. Now that you said that. Yeah, I let's it. not. I don't want it. Michael, I want you to write that uh, horror movie. Thank you. <laughs> Zooms with dead people. I did. Unusual Attachment. It's a short film I made during quarantine. Right. Everybody go right. watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to... we. So the, the scene ends with Willow... 
she says, Cassie says to her, you're strong like an Amazon, remember? Which like hurts my heart because that's what mm-hmm. fucking Kara said to her during, after Joyce died. And it's like, oh, they're pulling on everything here. Mm-hmm. And Willow's like, I do remember. Um, we see Spike is at the bronze. I do like but- that Spike scenes, they just let his cheekbones do the talking. Yeah. They really do, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. They're like, here's a shot of his cheekbones. You don't need anything else. <laughs> and we don't. <laughs> Very music video. It's all yeah. a music yeah. video. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. Holden's even talking over like the end of the like Spike cut. It's like Holden's mm-hmm. voice. Mm-hmm. He's like, so you meet someone, which is, you know, that's why we have Spike there. But then I love that they're like seated in therapy. Yeah. Um, I even took this picture for the cover, but I don't think I'm using this one. Um, and I, I don't know. I just like their discussion. Their discussion mm-hmm. Because we're we don't get Buffy doing this, right? Like, I mean, Zach, you even said she spent all of season six not telling anyone anything. And season seven, she kind of just the thing I like about this is a lot of season seven feels like we're not addressing the problems, but here Buffy yes. does. She right. explicitly talks about her issues. She talks, she like recaps season six, right? Yeah. Like, and I do like getting to see her do that because it bothers me that we don't. But at least we do get it here, and I do really like the way it's done here. Um, yeah, and I like that it's like it is like a therapy session. It is a stranger, you know. And she, she also, I mean, Sam Michelle Gellar always committed. I don't think any of us have that in question. But she really commits to the like. All right, I'm going to tell you, but like, Buffy never looks insecure, but she looks insecure when she's telling him, and that makes sense because mm-hmm. she doesn't often tell people these things. And right? they also remind us how young she is. They say she's 21 specifically, yeah. and it's like. Yeah. You just, it always smacks you in the face because it's like, you know, that's the maturity of a nearly 30 year old, right? And it's just crazy. She's 21 years old. Fuck. (laughs) And like, you know, I love when she says, I think you're confusing me because you're evil. And he he says, you should just ease up on yours. Also, I will say, I have been not so feeling great this week. And all the things he kept saying to her, I was like, I should listen to this. I should listen to this. He's like, you should ease up on yourself. It's not like you have the patent on bad relationships. And she says, wouldn't it be cool if I did? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love when he says, "Um, I was afraid to talk to you in high school. And now we're like mortal enemies. And, and, you know, again, I have like, that's why I'm not going to my 20 year reunion. Um, Just kidding. Jason doesn't need more mortal enemies. I don't need more. Um, No, they were afraid to talk to me in high school as well they should have been um i love you well if there are any taekwondo vampires in your graduating class i think we know who to stay away from exactly exactly yeah um and then she teaches him what sire means which i do i love that she says it's a noun too (laughs) (laughs) and when buffy says like i get in the context of this conversation when she's like you're not leaving the cemetery because I can't let you. And he's like, oh, you think you're going to win? And it's like positioned as her superiority complex, but also us as the viewers know that this random vampire is going to lose this fight because it's Buffy and we're seven seasons in and she's not losing to like some random Well, and she also kind of says it like she's a little bummed out too, right? Yeah. Because it's like- She says it. Yeah, he says, is it because we're going to fight? She says it's because I'm going to win. And she's very matter of fact about it, but there's also a sort of like melancholy undertone to it. Like she knows, she knows how his story ends. And it's it's sad. Yeah. I just have so many quotes from this conversation. This is a great conversation. Like in terms of- one and two liners, like, oh, I struck a nerve. She says, I'm going to strike a nerve cluster in a minute. Like, I don't even know if it makes sense, but I like it. 
<laughs> well, it also tracks too because we know Buffy's not the most uh, A plus student. So yeah. for her, like her re- her references in this case are very her. Mm-hmm. I don't expect her to have like the deets on anatomy, but like. <laughs> And like they talked about her parents' divorce and like, yeah. I forget what she says, but I wrote, I, I also wrote down a lot of lines for this. And he's like, I'm here to kill you, not to judge you. It's like such a good line. <laughs> it's such a good line. I wrote that one down too. Yeah. But, but I love like he's the only one who's asking her real questions and she can really talk to him because she knows he's going to die. Right? Like yeah. there's no, yeah. it really is like having a conversation with herself when someone's finally forcing her to like just say out loud, yes, I had a I had a violent sexual relationship. Like, yes, I had these things. These things happened to me. Yes, you're right. I don't trust that I can have happiness. Like, because, you know, it's again like what are what are the stakes for her? <laughs> Sorry. But <laughs> um but I like that. I like that she can have the this this honesty because it, you know, it's contained. It's a it's a bottle episode. It's a bottle therapy session, right? And it also comes at a point where she's like like if you're going to therapy in real life, you know, you have to be removed from your the peak of all of that at some point in order yeah. to kind of address it. And she is yeah. like she's here where she is able to be more matter of fact instead of just like crumbling into pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And I will say my my last favorite line from this section. Was when he he said something to her. I can't even remember what he said. And she says, "I think I'm going to kill you just a little bit more than usual." <laughs> it's so good. It's so her, and it's so good. Yeah, so, I so good. the yes, the they they the two of them do really good acting opposite each other. I mm-hmm. think. Um, and I mean, I think Sam Geller is probably like. I mean, Claire Kramer said on the podcast once that Sam Geller made you want to be a better actor because she never missed. Yeah. And I think that's probably true of like mm-hmm. everyone's interactions with her. Um, and it's so apparent here. And it's like, oh, this new character we've never met before, but like this scene is so engaging. Um, and like she talks about Spike here, which is so important to me that she does talk about their relationship. Yeah. Um, and in my brain, I was like, wait, I thought she tells him it's Spike, but it's important that she doesn't say the name Spike until the end for the reveal. Um, right. But I do like hearing her. She, some, she really does a good job and a fair job, even more fair than she needed to be, a summation of the relationship and of what she went through in season six. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, she, and again, I, you know, talking about it with the three of you, I'm realizing it does track that she wouldn't have talked about this with her friends because she spent the whole season not telling people things. So like, of course she's not going to even talk about that with them. Right. Yeah. Buffy's yeah. very like, we've moved on from that problem. I'm moving on. Even if like, she's not actually moved on, she's just making herself move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in, in the last two seasons, I mean, season six and season seven really are all about the isolation of Buffy, right. Yeah. You know, the, the self-imposed isolation of Buffy. And that's why the final beat of chosen when she smiles, it's that it's the, that weight finally lifted. And and then we see kind of the um, the progress of of how she digs herself into that place over two years, uh, and this is a, this is a key moment. Yeah. yeah, I think of that. So we cut back to Dawn, and we see we see more of Joyce. This time, we see she's being attacked by like oh, the powers out. There's flashes of light, and we see she's being attacked by like a beast. Um, which is actually what happens right prior to that is the power starts going out, and she starts. Like the, the tables are flipped, the chairs are flipped up on the table and like 
that's oh, yeah it's a poltergeist moment i was gonna say yeah that that i get that reference and also it feels like i mean but of course that's a reference to poltergeist but like paranormal activity did that too like a lot of right and that always works for me i can remember i'm not sure if it was goosebumps or some other random like child child geared horror it might have been the scary stories you tell in the dark where like it was like a quote-unquote true story of like a haunted house and it was like the mom left the room and she came back and all the furniture was flipped over. And so like that, that shit always works. and like creeping me out. Yeah. I love that though, because you know, even in poltergeist, that great scene where Joe Beth Williams like steps away from the kitchen Island and we go back and there are all these chairs stacked. I'm like, ghosts are really good yeah. because like <laughs> I can barely want move one piece of furniture without like it being a disaster. Yeah. Like, and not to go off on like a tangent, but like just real quick side note, Joe Beth Williams getting so excited over this poltergeist activity. Just like, it's just so great because yeah you'd be freaked out at first but when it keeps happening right isn't it kind of cool exactly with the sliding meat yeah. just like look at this yeah. <laughs> um and then we get so like dawn is freaking out it's like scary she gets the axe thrown at her and we get in a, i think what's an important moment for dawn moving forward is that she goes to run right she mm-hmm. opens the door there's like you said michael it's that wind coming in and the the voice the quote unquote voice of the monster is like, get out. And then she shuts the door and she's like, I'm not going anywhere. This is my mom. And I, I almost wish it's like undercut retroactively. Cause we know like that was the plan all along to trick her because they wanted to scare her. Um, but I do, I don't know. I felt like proud of Dawn. That felt like character development, right? Mm-hmm. She's not just yeah. running to Buffy. She's like, no, I'm going to see what's going on because this is my mom. And I don't want to like, even if it's her ghost, I don't want to abandon the ghost of my mom. Yeah. Right. The whole yeah. season is so is like just such great character development for her rather than yeah. like the end of season six, even. Um, <laughs> yeah. This one, she dresses better. She's, you know, she's a lot more mature. She's, you know, fighting better. It's just, and it is a really good moment for her. Yeah. Yeah. We, we see Andrew and Jonathan, they're kind of this house of leaves in it in the basement, but he sees where okay. Warren is. He knows that's where they need to go. We cut back to Buffy. And, and I will say Warren's looming there is so creepy. Yeah. It's yeah. So yeah. creepy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Buffy has knocked Holden through the stained glass window of, is it a, it's not actually called a crypt, right? That's not actually what you call that. What, what do you, what's it's the a mausoleum, right? Right, yeah. right, right, right. right. I was like, I'm saying crypt because that's what they say where Spike lives, but I know that's not the correct term. (laughs) Um, And so she like smashes him through there. And I really love, this is like, especially to like, you know, 19, 20 year old atheist Ian. It was like, when he, when she's like, he's like, Oh my God. And she's like, Oh, your God. What? And he's like, well, not my God, because I defy him and everything he stands for. And then he asks her like, is there any definitive answer on that? And she just kind of shrugs and is like, nothing really solid like i don't know (laughs) i mean she's been there to see she didn't see nothing so that's true (laughs) um but i like that line i was like i remember when that like happened i was like oh i love that because i appreciated that they genuinely had her be like i don't know like buffy doesn't buffy's not thinking about that she doesn't care right that's not no and you go crazy in that world if you tried to figure it out right because there are gods and there are demons who function as gods and there's magic and there's vampires who react to religious symbolism, but only some religious symbolism right. and like <laughs> holy water works. So you would assume that there's something there, right. but yeah. She does not have the time to figure this she out. She does she time, right? Right. She's, she's, you know, she's the, whatever. I'll deal with it when it comes. <laughs> and I do think that tracks for Buffy, right? That she'd just yeah. be like, I don't know. 
Like, yeah. yeah. You looked into that. I'm not looking into that. <laughs> <laughs> and then but Holden, the, the important thing is here, Holden also catches on that Buffy's ex that she talked about was a vampire, right? Mm-hmm. He like puts the clues together and is like, oh, it was a vampire. Um, we get the brief cut to Willow and Cassie, which I watching this, I realized that script is probably the shortest script that was written, right? Like, yeah, yeah. The cuts to them, it's like at the top and then at the end, they get a long, that scene gets a longer cut. But other than that, it's like two, three lines and then we cut away. Um, but the important thing here is that Cassie tells Willow she can't ever use magic again. And that Tara says, you're not going to be okay. You're going to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's like important for Willow's paranoia that we do get through the rest of the season which does annoy me slightly sometimes but that's important moving forward then we get more of andrew and jonathan they're we don't actually know like i know that we know but at the time they're not we don't know really what they're doing right no. like we don't know what that no. is Mm-mm. right yeah but they're dig- they're digging up the seal yeah. oh sorry kirsten oh i just to say this has such like cute lines like when jonathan randomly says some numbers yeah and he's like what he's like that was my longer locker combo it's been driving me crazy i've been trying to remember it this whole time because like <laughs> yeah right like you right would, yeah <laughs> um and like and i think jonathan's lines here are so sweet like he would really want to he would want to go to my reunion for me yeah um, he'd, be all over <laughs> Facebook. he'd be the one who likes all of your photos He'd be the only active person on your high school's graduating class page. Um, Are you trying to make people cry? Let's calm down here. (laughs) Um, And then when Andrew, I I think Andrew's trying to make himself, build himself up to what he knows he's going to do, right? And so he says, not one of them cares about you. And and I love this line. Jonathan says, says, well, I still care about that. And like, I just, I'm I'm a mom. I have written, oh, sweet boy. Um, (laughs) It's so sweet. And like, and I think this for me is the reason why it's okay that Jonathan dies. (laughs) Which makes me sound terrible. He dies. So it's okay that he dies. But like, but like, I feel like he has done the growing that he needed to do, right? Like yeah. he's no longer right. going to cast spells so that he can become the Jonathan that everyone loves. And he's not going to, you know, like he's not going to join an evil tree. Like he's trying to, he's actively trying to do good. He's trying to help. He mm-hmm. has no anticipation of any rewards, but he's going to do it anyway because he cares about the people that he knows and that he used to know that never cared about him. Like he can care about them without needing anything in return. So it's okay. It's okay that he dies. Um, but like but like that makes him a character with less growth to do as opposed to andrew so it did make sense for andrew to be the one who survives and then has the through line in the season yeah i mean again like 21 year olds and jonathan's done all the growing he needs to do in life like he's good he's good (laughs) he can can die now (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile me cut to me at 38 like a little bit more grown to (laughs) deep Yeah. But but I think it's true, right? Because yeah. even in the, these moments, we realize that Jonathan's redemption arc is complete yeah. in mm-hmm. ways that characters we spend far more time with in this series still never get. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, yep. I, and I think that that was really, really great writing. And it also, it, it shows that redemption comes in many ways. Like, you know, when you look at Angel or you look at Spike, their redemption arcs had to be big because of of just the mythology. Mm -hmm. But Jonathan's redemption arc didn't have to be grand. It just had to be human. And I think that that's really like what made this moment 
powerful. And yeah, I guess he got his his absolution and then gets killed for it. But well, <laughs> even the line delivery ride is like it's yeah. just resolved there. He's at kind of at peace already with himself. Yeah. Well, yeah. so funny that my notes said like in my notes I put like I really liked his like speech here. But also knowing the show, I should have anticipated that meant he was going to die very soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just right. That's usually when characters on the show die is when yeah. they get like, oh, their moment of like clarity and Zen and like understanding and then boop, they're dead. Like, kind of peace. Yes. Now you're going to rest of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we see Dawn trying to expel the demon from the house. Uh, she's like doing the work. And now this is this is the big horror illusion, yes. right? But, so this was, you know, when we get the Evil Dead mention earlier, this is the end of Evil Dead 2. Because if, if anybody knows that movie, at the end, uh, Ash and his pal are using the Necronomicon to read from the book to expel the demon and the house is fighting back. And invisible cuts like open on their skin because the demon's not going down and this all happens here. This is Evil Dead smack in the center of Sunnydale, but Don thinks it's her mom, and, you know, and yeah. that's it's her fault. Yeah, my yeah. problem with this scene is we've established, like, it gets established very clearly in season seven that the first can't touch you. The first doesn't have physical form. The first can't I know. affect the world in a material way. So I'm just wondering, like, what demon did he subcontract with? <laughs> right. <laughs> and listen, and listen, cut to Dawn and she's going through it. But you know what? I have no doubt that she's like, she can cast out any demon at this point, any Pazuzu, any like this is this right here is her calling. She is full on exorcist here. Um <laughs> Yeah, she she stepped it up. Yeah. I, yeah, I loved yeah. it. I loved the messy hair look and the the, the slight cut on the yeah. face, and you know. And Michelle Trachtenberg is doing some good acting. I think too, so. Right? I think so. Yeah. She really is. I hope she put Bactine on that cut though. It's <laughs> serious. I mean, here's that you do. I feel like they didn't. I mean, that's a critique I have of season seven. I don't think they quite knew 100 percent where they were going until they got there. I don't um, think they did either. I think that they really didn't think that one through because really yeah. the only explanation you can have is that the first subcontract. <laughs> <laughs> he, he brought in he brought in outside help. Um but yeah, I think I think the same. I think that they hadn't quite worked out what the what the limits, what the parameters of the power were. But you know, it's such an effective scene and it's such a fun scene that like it's fine. I can just I can just retcon it in my head that he did. He hired like this invisible demon buddy that you know he he he, he had good reviews. He had a good Yelp rating, <laughs> um, like reliable, consistent work in hauntings and possessions. And so you know, just if you can't do it yourself, you hire someone who can. <laughs> no, here's here's a question for everybody: Is this all happening concurrently? Do we think? I think so. I, I always, I always took it that way. Yeah. Call and then Buffy's phone rings, right? Yeah. Oh, that's that's true. That that's yeah. true because, like, and, and I'm maybe just have a hole in my memory here, but it's super rare that the first appears in more than one place at once. This is like kind Again, of the only time we see it. So going back to Kirsten and I saying, I I just think they hadn't. Yeah. I don't even think they laid out the rules of the first yet. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> think Although about the in, first has existed since season three. Well, but in season three, it does it. As Jenny Calendar, it touches Angel. So, like, right. yeah. previously, it wasn't completely incorporeal, but now it is, which, like, it doesn't say till, I think, like, three episodes from now when we first see Andrew again, and Warren says to Andrew that he's, I, like, learned the word incorporeal from the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just think they just didn't have all the rules laid out yet. Mm -hmm. So then we cut to Buffy giving what I, is one of my favorite, like, moments of 
the the Buffy Holden stuff that I like all of it, but I love her that she's she's saying like he's telling her she has superior complex, and she's like, actually, I feel like I'm I don't deserve all of this. Like mm-hmm. I feel like. And then he says, like, you do have a superiority complex and then an inferiority complex about it, which I felt like, fuck, is that how, like, everyone depressed on Twitter is? Like, <laughs> Listen, listen, I cannot st- – one of the things I hate about this show is when people say that Buffy thinks she's better than everybody else. And they're really driving it in this season, and I cannot stand that because I don't see it at all. And maybe it's there and I'm missing it, but I don't, I don't see that. Buffy is better than everybody else. Yeah. But, like, I don't think she thinks that. Yeah, right? <laughs> right. Like- not a superiority complex if you literally are stronger <laughs> and more coordinated and more capable at this one thing than everybody else, right? Nah. Like she shouldn't have slayer imposter syndrome. She's literally the slayer. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, it's not a superiority complex if it's true. Um, but, but we do have like really good lines here, right? Like she wanted to be punished. Um and then she says, this is sort of complicated if you'd rather just fight, right? Which sums up Buffy very well. This yeah. is being emotionally right. complicated. Let's just fight. Um, but then the line that I wrote down that I thought was so good and so sad um, was, even if they love me, it doesn't matter. Their opinions don't count. And, like, we know so much of season six was, was you know, Buffy being severely depressed, right? And that's that's such a thing because you know the people around you love you, but it doesn't matter. Right, right. And like, I, I, they, yeah, they just, they deliver a lot of insight in a few very short lines in this. And I, mm-hmm. I really, it was really good. It was really well done. Um, I mean, yeah, like, like I said, I've been like very depressed lately and like all of this, I'm like, oh, oh, I got to take notes on this. Like Holden's like giving <laughs> yeah. me free therapy. Here. Was this the episode for you right now, Ian? Should we have gone you know back what? to it him? Was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> um. I don't know. I just feel like Buffy's depression always feels kind of relatable, even when it's like, you know, we're not superheroes, but we just still relate to like how she feels. I don't know. I just, I I love that. And, you know, I mean, here's it. You just said it, but like he says earlier in the episode, he says, oh, you're a slayer. And she's like the, and like, she's not being an asshole. She is the slayer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But but it's only okay for everybody else to tell her you're the slayer. You're prophesized to do this. You have to do this. But if she says it about herself, like if she just states a fact like that, then she's got a superiority complex. Like, what is that? To being a powerful woman. Like, heaven forbid you ever claim your own accomplishment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I'm just a slayer because they didn't have anybody else. Or I'm just a slayer because of all of these wonderful women around me supporting me. Yeah. I'm a slayer, but I'm sorry. Anytime anybody (laughs) says anything about this, I just flash every single time to Anya. You didn't earn it. It's like, the fuck? The fuck? (laughs) Literally chosen. (laughs) (laughs) But I think this exchange, especially, you know, the idea that, you know, their opinion doesn't matter what we're saying about how depression manifests is exactly the, the best encapsulation of why this is such a good episode and why it's such a good horror story. Mm-hmm. Because horror, when done well, uses that dark lens of the fantastic to take very tangible things and, and present them as allegory, right? And this episode really, in all of these stories, showcases 
that the ghosts that they're talking to isn't really what they're being haunted by. They're mm-hmm. actually right. being haunted by grief, by the insecurity. Yep. And it's all secondary to the actual specter that's in front of them because the first doesn't need to actually do anything. What's haunting them is already inside. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes this a great horror story. Ugh. Ugh, Michael. Fuck, that was that was really good. Hey guys, bye guys, thanks for joining us. Uh. <laughs> Michael just finished the episode. That's We're it. Good. That's it. You have to you have to cut cut a, a part of that into the end. That should be like a, like a finisher. I'll just cut in the end again. So have them yeah. and yeah. then just repeat it. Add an, add an echo effect at the very end too. Like, <laughs> like, like a bolt of lightning and thunder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we get the the needle drop of then she does say Spike's name, mm-hmm. and Holden's like, "Wait a minute, did you just say Spike?" Um, and we're reminded that Spike is on this date with this woman. He's walking her back to the uh, her front door. Then we get Dawn is expelling the demon, and Dawn is I'm I'm like oh, good for you, Dawn. You're doing the thing, she's and she like she's like bloody, and she screams, "That's right, die, you bastard!" And I'm just so proud of her, and she like does the thing, kind of. I mean, not really, but like mm-hmm. then she collapses, mm-hmm. and we get that bright light, which hurts my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Of Dawn uh-huh. just saying like mom and she's like so bright and like Ugh. And that's how she would see her mother there, right? Yes. In the yeah. white yeah. dress. That's the vision of heaven. Yeah. 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 That's just uh, I'm getting emotional. But yes, exactly. <laughs> that's hundred percent correct. Like that is how she would see her mother. Like yeah. and the first again is like pulling it all of the it, it knows how to pull it all of them. Um, to make them feel some kind of way about what's... It knows exactly how to make them feel how the first wants them to feel, yeah. right? Exactly. And I get it. I get it. Dawn's like 16 or 17, but yeah. but her the first saying... Okay, the first saying, Buffy's not going to be there when things get bad. Buffy's not going to be on your side. Bullshit. Season five finale. She killed herself for you, Dawn. She's proved the loyalty at this point. She's been there. She she would have killed everybody else for this, this little key that's, you know, a couple months old, you know? Little key. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I, but so we don't even get that moment yet. Um, oh, oh, we don't? I'm sorry. Okay, we'll go back. No. Before she does say the thing, we, we just see Dawn say mom and we see Joyce. Yeah. And I think this, like, what is it? Like there's, at this point, there's like 10 minutes left of the episode. And, yeah. These 10 minutes are so good because everything that we've been building up to kind of happens, right? Mm-hmm. We cut to Willow and she says like, she's not strong like an Amazon. And we're like, these cuts are like, you know, 30 seconds. She says she's not strong like an Amazon. And Cassie tells her there's another option and basically like, you know, pitches her killing herself. Um, and then we cut back to Buffy and Holden saying Spike is the one that sired him. And we see Spike biting that woman. Wait, wait, wait. Can I ask real quick? Because Spike kind of like is on a date with that woman and like makes out with her before he bites her. Do you think that he and Holden made out or like? Yes. Okay. Yes. What okay. happened? Canon. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so. Holden says that Spike sired him. We see Spike siring that woman or biting that woman. Um, and we cut back to Dawn. And that's when Joyce says the thing that you mentioned, Zach. And I do, I love this moment, but I do wish it had actually like, this one like really doesn't really pay off much, right? No. 
it's just like in the realm of season seven it doesn't it's a cool scene it's a cool moment it's an iconic image but like what she says doesn't like i wish there had been a little bit more i don't know something else because i feel like we don't get a callback to this. The next episode does pick up right away. Willow's gotten home. She tells Dawn, like, we can't believe everything we were told last night. But Dawn doesn't ever talk about it with anyone. Yeah. It's never really... Yeah. It should have been They're... said more. Instead of her saying that Buffy, like, can't or won't stick by her, it's maybe Buffy can't protect everybody. Buffy will fail or something like that. I think that would have created a lot more doubt in Dawn's mind then then oh your buffy's not or buffy's not going to stick by you right and this was just crueler too right because willow figures it out yeah. she figures yes. it out really fast like no this is not communication from tara and buffy obviously um the the twist of the knife there is about spike it's not it's not um this but but dawn thinks she saw her mom and like yeah. there's yeah. nothing to ever contradict that and so that this one feels this one feels cruel yeah, um, yes. yeah you know, it really does. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with, but yeah, you're right. Where where like it doesn't play in in any significant way later on. Yeah, this one just hurts. Yeah. Um. Then we cut to Andrew stabbing Jonathan, his only friend. He has now murdered him. Jonathan's bleeding out on the seal of Danthazar, which will come into play later. Um. We cut back to Willow, and this speech we get is just so good. Um, and I'm happy to say we have a reading of it with Summer Bischel from The Magicians reading as Cassie and Brianna Venskis from The Walking Dead and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Supergirl reading as Willow. Suicide thing was too far, huh? Hmm. You seem so ripe. Tell me who you are. I stand by my opinion. The world would be a better place if you took a razor blade to your wrist. Stop. I can see it now. Candlelight, the indigo girl's plane, picture of your dead girlfriend on your bloody lap. Stop it. Oh, baby, you left such a big hole. It hurts so bad. You don't know hurt. This last year is going to seem like cake after what I put you and your friends through. And I am not a fan of easy death. Fact is, the whole good versus evil balancing the scales thing... I'm over it. I'm done with the mortal coil, but believe me, I'm going for a big finish. From beneath you, it devours. Oh, not it. Me. And I want to tell you all that I 100% wanted Summer Bischel to read Cassie's part, like since I decided I was doing separate readings because I knew she would <laughs> kill it, and she did. Yeah. Um, but this moment, I I can remember like... You know, we're getting, like, hit after hit of, like, reveal and reveal and reveal. And, like, this is... I remember how I felt watching this being, like, fuck. Because, like you said, Kirsten, Willow catches on. Like, mm -hmm. the, she... And it almost goes back to what you said, Michael, that if it had been Tara, Willow would have been, like... That's, Tara doesn't say that. Like, right. faster than it mm -hmm. if it's, like, a vessel talking for Tara. Um, And, like, the way, the way Azura Sky delivers, like, the, like, I'm done with the whole mortal coil, like... And Willow says, from beneath you, it devours. And she's like, not it, me, is just, Ooh, ugh, like, it, it. it gave me the chills. Every time I watch that, that part always yeah, gives me the chills. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember watching this episode for the very first time. Do you guys remember watching it? And do you remember predicting the first or, or predicting any of this? Like, what were the big surprises for you all? 
I think I do remember reading that it was going to be the first. Like, I feel like I remember reading on posting boards that like that was the villain from Lessons, and like just putting together the pieces. We hadn't really seen like a shapeshifter type whatever, and I kind of did assume it was the first, especially because I can't remember if it was right before the season aired or like when it was airing that you know Sam Geller did the Entertainment Weekly cover saying that she was quitting. Um, but I remember knowing it was the last season and being like, yeah, it has to be the first. Like, but it was still like a very good, like solidifying it's the first was like, I don't know. I thought it was a really good uh, way of solidifying that it was. Uh, Kirsten and Michael, what did you guys think? I can't really remember. Um, this was one of the seasons that I watched much later. Um, I only watched while it was airing, I think through season four. Um, and so these seasons I watched later on. Um, and yeah, I can't, I can't remember. Um, I'm pretty sure I knew it was like, obviously not Tara, but yeah, I just remember thinking it was such a good, creepy, (laughs) well done scene. (laughs) I'm going to echo what Kirsten said here. I mean, obviously this aired in what, 2004 and that's 17 years ago. Plus, uh, I, I did watch the season when it aired, but like, I can barely remember like, you know, what, I watched last week. So I, I, I to, to recall whether uh, I had an inclination. I mean, I was very, very active in like Buffy conversations and like live journal communities. Yeah. I'm sure we speculated. And I, I, I remember liking the first from its first appearance in season three, because I love the idea of intangible villainy. Yeah. And also the, the idea too, that, um, and we really see it on display here. So many Buffy villains, including big bads, are whimsical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but if you have evil in its pure distillation and its first form, it's cruel as, as Kirsten pointed out earlier, like with the Joyce of it all. And it, I think it was, it makes sense as the big bad for the last season. I think there's also a lot to be said of what yeah. we've just talked about earlier. There was probably more room to breathe that we needed that we didn't get to expand just how wicked this thing could actually be. Mm-hmm. But um, what a great reveal, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it's again, it's wild that it's Azora Sky doing the reveal, but she does such a good job. Yeah. Um, and you can feel the intensity of that moment. I don't know. Um, but so then we get the closing moment, and I do like that we go back to the song that opened the episode. Um, we see where all the where all our players are at the end. We see Spike with the blood dripping out of his mouth, Dawn by herself in the living room. Uh, Buffy staking Holden. And I like that they don't even give us that fight, right? Because we already knew she was going to win. There was never right. a doubt that this wouldn't be a random vampire she would kill in a cemetery. It just happened to be someone she also went to high school with, right? Yeah. But there was never... We didn't need that final fight, so I like that they just kind of breeze by it. We show her staking him. Um, we see Dawn in the living room. We see Willow, like, freaking out in the library. Um, yeah, this episode is just... Ugh, so good. Oh, here's a quick thought exercise that I, I meant to ask. Even though uh, listeners who have heard me on the show before know that I notoriously am not a fan of Xander, so I was happy to have a break <laughs> this time around. Um, if you had to guess, and let's assume for fun, what dead person did Xander talk to? <laughs> well, I'm going to cheat here and say that the rumor was he was supposed to talk to Eric Balfour's Jesse from the mm. first episode. Which I go back and forth with whether I would have liked if Xander talked to him or not, only because we just never brought him up again. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if it would have been too jarring. Kirsten, what's your answer? I think he would have talked to the people that he got killed by summoning a dancing demon because it sounded fun. 
<laughs> I will never the- let go of the fact that they were all like, oh, Xander, like, <laughs> what? <laughs> You're best friends with the Slayer, and you were like, this sounds like a kick in the pants. Let's try this. <laughs> like, what? No, you know what? Actually, I think that the first did have a conversation with Xander, but it was so boring and pointless. And the first realized, like, this is a road I don't want to go down, and I don't need to go down, that he just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> I did also read that they did want to bring back uh, Halfrecht to talk to Anya, but that she mm-hmm. was unavailable, which I do know is true because Kali Roka did say that. Um, Kali Roja did say that in our interview with her, that she was in a play on Broadway and they literally flew her out to film all of her scenes at the beginning of the season and she filmed them all at once and then flew back to New York. Um, Zach, who would you have wanted Xander to talk to? Jesse. All right. All right. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now for a quick break. Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies. So much so they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies by Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERSLAYERFEST, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies, y'all. And now to talk about the fashion of Conversations with Dead People, the Season 7 costume designer. Matt Van Dyne. Hello, Hi, everybody. Matt. So nice to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you. And, and nice to, to uh, talk to everybody, actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, here we are. We're back. We're back. Uh, so what do you got for us for the fashion of this episode? Ironically, you know, I don't have scripts to all of the shows, but I do have uh, the script to this particular show. Oh, nice. You know, I'm thinking maybe I should have read the script while I was watching the episode. I like to watch the episodes for all you guys because I think it'll jog my memory, you know, in some way. And sometimes it does. And uh, sadly, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> you know, I, that's funny. I do. I can't remember which episode it was that you were like, oh, I don't think I have anything to say for this. And then you watched it and you were like, oh, wait, I remembered more when I watched oh, wait, it. <laughs> yes. But you know what? Um, in this episode, and it starts out, you know, Buffy in the cemetery and yeah. and the hand shooting out of the grave. Or anyway, it's at the, at the beginning of the episode someplace. So um, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember something about this. I remember something about this. And I'm thinking, oh, getting a suit for that guy, you know. <laughs> What was his name? Web Webster? Holden. Holden. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Holden Webster. So um, I thought, oh yeah, and I I didn't find it in my notes or in the purchases, but 
I think if I dug deep enough, I'd find it. But I remember going to a place called Three Day Soup Broker. And <laughs> and I think that's where I got his suit because I think we needed multiples because, you know, stunts and right. dirt, dirt and all, all of that. And so that that struck me right away. I thought that, like I said, that came into my head just, oh, we had to get an affordable suit, not something that was going to be super expensive, you know, and have it tailored to fit right. him. But but that that struck me right away. And then as I'm watching the episode, I'm looking at Sarah wearing the uh, the cross, mm-hmm. and and I'm thinking, oh, uh huh, you know, I, I I don't remember where that was purchased, but I do recall that I thought, oh, I think that's dictated in the script. And as it turns out, it was. I think he mentions something about the you know with the cross and all that you know yeah, like okay. when he's, you know and i'm th- and i then you know I go through my notes and sure enough there it is in the notes you know it's there and then i do recall getting the clothing for jonathan and andrew uh, <laughs> uh doing the um those were just kind of inexpensive dark clothes from the gap basically oh. that, that's where the, that's where that came from and uh uh, and I have a, a note in my um, my script where I wrote gloves, but I don't see it mentioned in the script. So hmm. maybe we just came up with the idea with Terry, the designer, you know, when I, yeah. she and I would do the meetings together and she probably said, oh, if they're, you know, going undercover or whatever, you know, then they should look like, you know, like a jewel thief or something right. like that, you know. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, was probably why I wrote that down in my notes. And also, um, Christine Sutherland, who plays um, Joyce. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mentioned to you before privately that when I did a uh, convention in Paris, uh, Christine was there. And I, as I recall, I said to Christine, I don't believe we've met. But and I'm wondering if we actually did meet uh, now because I see her in this episode, of course. Yeah. But uh, but you know I'm not sure that we did actually have a face to face meeting. Uh, I don't know if what she did was done remotely or something like that. Perhaps it could have been. Yeah. But, uh, but what she was wearing, uh, what she is wearing in the in the in the episode is dictated in the script as well. It says something, I think it says something like ethereal and uh, translucent. And Mm. so that's what we came up with. And uh, as far as like Sarah's, oh, yeah, Sarah's sweater, I found that. That was uh, something called PL Knitwear. And it came from Saks Fifth Avenue. Nice. And a very, very attractive uh, sweater. I think we bought... A couple of those, as I recall, it was something in the neighborhood of like two hundred and seventy dollars, something like that. Oh wow! And uh, <laughs> you know, as I'm looking at price points today, I look back and I go, "Well, that doesn't seem so expensive." But at the time, some right. of these things were. You know, that was yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Like back then, that much little, money, a little more expensive. Yeah. You know what? I think. And I'm, you'll probably agree with this. I think not everyone looks good in like a cable knit chunky sweater, but Sarah really but looks good. Doesn't she? Me. Doesn't she? Yeah. And, and the, what's funny, uh, as I was looking at the shooting schedule, it was late September, and I thought, well, it must. We must be starting to have cooler nights because right. I also noticed in my um, notes for this episode that I was buying thermals for. Uh, Sarah and uh, James. 
because oh. they were doing a lot of outdoor things. So I always forget that it does get cold in the summer and at night. It does. it does in California. It yeah. does get cold, and especially you know on the basin side of LA. You know the ocean air. Mm-hmm. You know where we were shooting would come into the cemetery. I just laughed at that cemetery. I thought, I thought all of the notoriety that that old graveyard gets, <laughs> you know, <laughs> later in, in, uh, the century. Cause you know, the, there are a lot of headstones in there that go way back, way back in time. So <laughs> very funny, That's funny, very funny. But, and then, uh, John, uh, I was, I found her blouse. I thought, oh, well, that's cute. She thought that she's so cute oh, in, nice. in her multiple, you know, because it required multiple changes because of oh, right. everything that happens to her right. <laughs> in, in that episode, alone in the house until, you know, Joyce shows up. Right. Do you have to do the tears on the outfits? Was that like part of yeah, you too? Yeah, yeah, that's that's our department and you know, working in tandem, tandem with makeup and special effects and all of that. And uh, her blouse was, uh, well, it was a joie, J-O-I-E, blouse. Ooh. All right. And I believe it came from Saks as well. She had on her favorite designer, Michelle Tracton Bird's <laughs> favorite designer, Mark Jacobs. Oh. And they were her je- jeans. And the, the blouse was $159, and the, uh, the jeans were $93.90. So, oh, wow. Which now for a designer jean, that doesn't sound you know no. that expensive, but no. it was then. <laughs> and then I, I have a note here. I, de- I, de- I didn't really pay attention to Sarah's feet, but I guess I bought her sneakers for $92. Nike sneakers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that's in there as well. And then Spike, I uh, just have uh, that uh, black Levi's for this episode and black Calvin Klein t-shirts. They're pretty simple. Listen, the t-shirts you fit him in, Matt? Gay uh, rights, thank you. You. Know, you like, you like, huh? Well, we have- <laughs> We should thank uh, everybody for that, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, Terry, the designer, too, at the time, she was uh, very conscious of, you know, like having things flatter the body. And, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, you know, and that's that's true. So, you know, we did do that. And I mean, he had he had the body to be flattered, right? <laughs> yes, he did. He absolutely <laughs> did. He absolutely did. Yeah, I have notes you know like you know spike does this spike does that you know about you know all about his body basically you know but that's in the script a lot of it's in the script you know like he'll saunter this way or right just one other little note i had was the the the, the vampire in the in the graveyard uh his blue dress shirt that came from nordstrom see we shopped all over it was just all right you really did we really did i mean you know it'd be like well you know, I want that from there. I want this from here, you know, because, you know, you would know uh, the quality or the fit of certain things from certain places. And that's fair. Yeah. And some of the things I think like uh, for um, Allison, uh, I think we had already had in stock for building her closet, you know, for the season. Okay. So we just pulled things out of her closet, you know, and built on. Wait, that. I do have a specific question for okay. you in okay. your script. Yes. Is is it Cassie that visits her? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Because I know that in yeah. the original script, it was supposed to be Tara Amber Benson coming back, oh, but really? she declined. Yeah. In the original script. Now, see, I have the white pages. I'm going to look because I, I want to see. Ah, you know, you know, you know, you know. It is 
Yes, in the original white pages dated September 29th, 02. Uh, then the pink pages are Cassie. So that means I oh. collated the script. And, oh. and so she was added October the 9th, it says. And when did it shoot? Well, I, you know, I'm not exact. I'd have to, I'd have to pull those. Uh, you know, I okay. have that someplace, but I don't, I didn't. That's fair. I didn't make a note of that. It's probably close to this date, Ian, because, yeah. you know, we get, when we do the scripts like this, it's probably not too, too far away. Cause that, that's what I was thinking. Cause she was a very random character to bring back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was wondering if it was like a, oh shit, we need, who can we bring back that we is it's, available? Yeah. And, yeah it's, you know. it, it says Cassie, the girl from episode four, the girl, yeah. the girl who died looking quite undead at the moment, but very <laughs> like herself. So, oh, and this was, a, there was a, I was going to make a note about that because it says still with the alt rock look. <laughs> And purple bits in her hair. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, you know, if I had saved, of course, I didn't save the white pages because I thought, oh, well, we're not shooting that. So, right. That's funny. That's funny that it was her. (laughs) I'd file, you know, the the new pages in. So, I have pink and blue and white in this script. So, we didn't, it didn't change that much, Mm -hmm. but it did. But her pages are all pink. That's true because I'm looking later in the, you know, wherever she shows up. So, that was, so originally, yeah, it was. That's right. It would have been Tara. I think you're right. You know, she wasn't available. Was that what the reason was? She liked, she didn't really want Tara to be bad as the last appearance of oh, like this lesbian uh, couple. Oh. But also that she was doing another project. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, that's interesting. That's, I was wondering if, since you had the script. Um, and with, so the one question I do have with Joyce is so like her, when we first see her, she's on that couch, like the way her character died, uh-huh. she's wearing the same outfit. Did you guys have that outfit already or did you have to like redo that same outfit? You know, I'm looking at the script when you, it's so funny. I just turned to that page and we see that something big and dark is hunched. Oh, that's something, something else over Joyce pressing her into the sofa. But in that scene, she is wearing the outfit she died in. She is wearing the outfit she died in. Well, we would have had that in stock i suppose okay i didn't know if like because it was two seasons prior you get rid of that stuff no no i think uh, i think that was filed away okay yeah found it's like she's lying in the position where buffy found the body yeah yeah so we probably had it tagged i mean it's somebody the previous uh costumers Mm -hmm. that were there because you know we came in the last season so right um it was probably tagged, and if it wasn't that, if it wasn't, then we just recreated it. That's fair. I have a feeling it was tagged. I think they were pretty good about doing that. Yeah. Okay. I, I was always wondering on shows if that's like a thing, like how long they keep the outfits. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yes. Um, I think there were several racks of clothing there. Yeah, okay. And uh, it was a huge space, so uh, we we saved quite a few things or they saved quite a few things and we did too but uh but yeah that's that's kind of common to do that especially if somebody died or something you know it's kind of like oh this may need to come back and i'm sure the previous costume designer was very astute about you know right. people coming back and forth you know so that makes sense wait 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 i just saw something in the script here willow blinks i'm sorry to wake you tara tara is in the script somewhere but then that's yeah yeah i do have one page that says tara that's i was thinking that it had to have been last minute because i I mean that yeah here it is i have it that's so funny that must have been the one page i didn't miss i probably mistakenly didn't take it out but here it is yeah it says willow and tara huh yeah that's so funny yeah because i and granted i think 
Azora Sky does a fantastic job. Oh, in, sure she does. I thought she was quite compelling. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Um, but it it just felt weird. It was like, oh, that's weird. They brought back this character who just died like three episodes died. ago. <laughs> you know, like but here it is. Here it is. That's it's, funny. That's funny. It is at page twenty two of my script. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Yeah. And I must have. Right. Well, yeah. No, here. Oh, that's funny. I didn't take that out, but I have the pink page twenty two as well. Oh, that's oh. funny. Yeah. Well, so there it is. There, there's proof. Yeah, there it is. Did you even get to the point where you would start having to have dressed Amber Benson or no? Not at all. I don't think so, no. Okay. I don't think so. Do you have anything else? Any other notes on uh, Conversations with Dead People before we close out? I think I've given you just about everything I have. <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> Matt, thank, thanks for joining us. It's a delight as always to talk to you. It's a wonderful experience talking with you always. <laughs> See you next time. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. And all right, now we're at the end. Favorite scene, Kirsten? Oh, gosh. You'd think I'd be prepared by now. Um, uh, I just, I love this episode. I think this episode is brilliant. I think every aspect of it is well done. I'm just going to go with Buffy lying flat on her back, being psychoanalyzed by the Psych 101 vampire, because, like, it's just delightful. (laughs) Uh, Michael? Uh, As I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm a huge fan of the stationary library conversation because it evokes all the emotion that we need. And I think, of course, especially that we had a great dramatic reading of it in this episode too, the final conversation between Cassie and Willow where the first reveals itself is just like quality haunting material. So that's that's for me. Zach? Um, I'm going to say in the library, the moment where... uh, Cassie mentions will uh Tara talking about the singing I think that specific scene um where she's kind of calling on things what uh Willa would know I think that was pretty haunting there yeah um same thing I well no not same thing but yeah Cassie and the Cassie and Willow mortal coil moment is my favorite moment of the episode I almost feel like instead of a, a favorite scene it's like which right. which you know conversation you know right? what actually Zach that's a good point yeah what is everyone's favorite conversation uh Kirsten you know what? I'm going to give it to Jonathan. I'm going to give his generosity of spirit and his <laughs> tremendous character growth and his his swan song, his Buffy swan song, because I just really like that when he's not being defensive, he's not snapping back. He's just saying, I don't need them to care about me. I can still care about them. Like, way to go, Johnny. All right. Um, Michael, what's your favorite of the conversations? What if I was like spiking that lady because no one likes when dates go on too long? No, um, <laughs> uh, no it's Willow and Cassie, obviously. I think, I don't know, because I the Willow-Cassie moment is really good, but I think the Buffy Holden might, like overall, I mm-hmm. like that one better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Zach, which one is yours? Did you say which one is yours? Uh, Willow-Cassie. Willow-Cassie, all right, yeah, fair. Um, well, did you mean conversation all right. through line or like specific moment in a conversation? Conversation through line. Oh, Buffy. Buffy and Holden, easy. Buffy and Holden. Okay. So Kirsten changes the back. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan, you weren't good enough, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) Get the cut, Jonathan. All right. Favorite outfit, uh, Michael? Oh, favorite outfit. You know, and I know you ask this every time and I never (laughs) plan ahead. Um, I'm going to, okay, I'll go with Andrew and Jonathan's Mission Impossible geesh. (laughs) Because no one else is going to say it, and I love that they dressed for the assignment. (laughs) Uh, Kirsten? Uh, Joyce's uh, I'm a Celestial Being come back to. All right. (laughs) Zach? Uh, There's not a lot of memorable outfits in this one, are there? Um, I do like Buffy's outfit, her hair, with an honorable mention to uh, Dawn's bandaged foot. 
we'll go with that. <laughs> Bandaged foot. Um, I Zach, actually, I Buffy's graveyard look. I think that like for me, there's like variations of that throughout the season. But I love, I love Buffy in a denim jacket. I think her hair looks good. Yeah, and I. I don't love a chunky turtleneck, but she looks good in one. I give her Dude, that. She that, always looks that good That season one. seven styling, unbeatable, yeah. unbeatable. It really, yeah, it is. Um, all right, now we're going to grade the episode. I give the episode an A+. plus. Uh, Zach, what grade do you give the episode? A++. plus plus. Kirsten? A+. plus. Michael? A+. plus. Yay, look at that. We all agreed. <laughs> um, thank you, all so much for joining us and thank you all for listening and if you want to follow SlayerFest98 you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts YouTube and other corners of the internet if you want to support us on Patreon that would be great, Uh, you can get access to all our SlayerFest98 bonus episodes we're currently going through uh, the Harley Quinn cartoon which is really stellar and you get access to our private Facebook group, monthly Patreon Zooms, and My Nudie Judy which Zach and I do together which is like our sex positive video talk series um, and the support is much appreciated. If you want to follow us on social, we are at SlayerFestX98. If you want to follow me, I am at Carlos. Michael, where can everyone find you? Uh, just follow me on Twitter at Michael Verratti. And yeah, I'm around. Kirsten, where can everyone find you? I'm on Twitter at Kirsten White, on Instagram at author Kirsten White, or on the shelves of your local bookstore. Yeah. Uh, Zach, where can everyone find you? Duh. I always do awful with this. If you care enough, you can find me somewhere. You'll look look for me. <laughs> That's too popular. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, thank you all so much. And I'm very excited to be back on Buffy season seven. We'll get more to you this, this summer. Bye. Bye. Bye.